Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So fasting is an expression of repentance. Fasting is a way to say, I repent of my sins. I feel so bad for my sins. Now, sometimes there are very important decisions that have to be made in life, and we're just clueless. We don't know what we should do. And so that's a time when fasting is the step to take, is the step to take. Now, this can be seen in the life of Ezra. Ezra was confronted by enemies that wanted to do what Iran chants, Death to Israel, death to the Jews, death to Ezra's people. And Ezra needed protection. Ezra needed protection. And Ezra didn't want to go back to the idolatrous king that had sent him on his way for protection because he already told the king, God would protect me. And so Ezra didn't know what to do. So what he did do is he proclaimed a fast. And he said that he called that fast afflicting ourselves in Ezra chapter 821, Ezra 821, when he says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God, to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. So basically, fasting is appropriate when a person is, wants to know what he should do, and he's frustrated, and he doesn't know what to do, and God says, fast and pray. Fast and pray. Okay, now, fasting is also done when a person is paralyzed with fear. Fear has just gripped his soul. And this happened in the life of King Jehoshaphat. When he, King Jehoshaphat, found out that there was this huge group of his enemies that had gotten together, and they were coming to destroy him in Jerusalem, and he knew he was way outnumbered by them, way outpowered by them. And so what did he do when he was in this paralyzing fear? He proclaimed a fast. In 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them also beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. And there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the river on this side Syria, and behold, they be in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So this fast was for when paralyzing fear had gripped him, and that's time to fast as well. Now, fasting is also done when there is a need for healing, when there's a need for healing. 
For example, there was this child that was born from the union, the adulterous union between David and Bathsheba. And the child was very sick. And David wanted God to heal the child. And so David prayed and fasted so that God would heal the child. And then when the child was not healed, if in fact the child died, he stopped fasting because there was no more need for calling for healing. And this is seen in 2 Samuel 12, 19. 2 Samuel 12, 19, which says, But when David saw that his servants whispered, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his apparel and came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house, and when he required, they set bread before him, and he did eat. Then said his servants unto him, What thing is this that thou dost done? Thou didst fast and weep for the child while it was alive. But when the child is dead, thou dost rise and eat bread? And he said, While the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. He will not return to me. So, Fasting is appropriate when there's a desire for healing, for healing. Now, we think about fasting, we've been talking about fasting, and it's all coming down to, it's good for us, it benefits us. We're healed, it's a benefit of us. We're afraid, it's a benefit for us for, you know, many, many reasons. But they're all about us. But fasting is not only to benefit us, fasting is also called a service to God. It's called the service to God. This we see in an 84-year-old widow whose name was Anna, an 84-year-old woman whose name was Anna. Anna. She is said to served God. She's 84 years old. She said to served God with fasting. This is given to us in Luke 2:37. Luke 2:37. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayer night and day. Fastings and prayer night and day. Fasting, now another purpose or reason for fasting is that during fasting, a special word may come from the Lord. A special word may come from the Lord. All of a sudden, a passage in the Bible may be lightened up. Or as in the case of a Roman centurion named Cornelius, the Roman centurion named Cornelius, he fasted for four days. And it was during those four days, it says in Acts 10.30, Acts 10.30, Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man before me in bright clothing. Now, another purpose or reason fasting is, is for the church, is for the church. When important decisions have to be made in the church, like a selection of elders, that's an important decision. And it's not just a, well, who do you think should be an elder? Who do you think should be an elder? There is a process. Or when missionaries are going to be sent out. It's not just a potluck, but when missionaries are going to be sent out. In these two important moves, we have the record of fasting. In Acts 13.2, Acts 13.2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein I have called them. And when they had fasted, and prayed and laid their hands on him, they sent them away. So when it was time to send out two missionaries, when it was time to commission them, when it was time to ordain them, it was with fasting. And when it was time to select and ordain elders for the church, 
when it was time to do that, it says in Acts 14.23, Acts 14.23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Okay, now, there's another reason to fast, and it has to do with the greatest internal enemy that we have. The greatest internal enemy we have is pride. Pride is the mother of all sins. It's the one mother of all sins that gives birth to all those kinds of sins. So our greatest internal enemy is pride. And it says in James 4.10, it says James 4.10, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due times. That's what it says in James 4.10. And the question becomes, how are we supposed to humble ourselves before the Lord? Does that mean we're supposed to walk around and hit ourselves or something like that? But we're told how to humble ourselves in Psalm 35, 13. Psalm 35, 13, where David said, But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. He says, I humbled my soul with fasting. And, you know, this is hymn 583. This is, humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. You know, it's like fasting in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up higher and higher. He will lift you up. Okay, so here we have these reasons in the Bible for fasting. And it all, it helps us to see why in verse 16, the Lord said, when ye fast. Number one, fast to afflict the soul. Number two, fast when you're grieving or you're mourning. Number three, Fast to break the power of lust. Number four, fast to get close to God. Number five, fast when you're in grave danger. Number six, fast to intensify prayer. Number seven, fast to repent of sins. Number eight, fast to know direction from God. Number nine, fast when you're afraid, when you're gripped in a paralyzing fear. Number 10, fast for healing. Number 11, fast to serve God. Number 12, fast to hear from God. Number 13, fast for decisions for the church. And the last, 14, fast to humble your soul. So all those are the reasons. It's no wonder why the Lord did not say in verse 16, if you fast, but he said when you fast, because there's 14 reasons to fast, and makes the matter of fasting in verse 16 a when and not an if. So now the Lord is going to turn to explain in the area of fasting what not to do. What not to do when you fast. And this is in verse 16. Again, he says, moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites. Sad countenance, disfigured face. They appear unto men to fast, and they have their reward. So the Lord is saying here, don't make fasting a matter of known to others by a sad face and disfiguring the face. Disfigure the face. You know what they used to do is take ashes you know, these for fasting, and put on the face and then cry so that the tear lines would be caked onto the face with, <laughs> with ashes, okay? And so what he's saying here is that, you know what's important about fasting? Keep it a secret. Keep it a secret. Don't be like the Pharisee in Luke 18, 12. Luke 18, 12, I fast twice a week. Don't do that. Literally, because he says at the end of verse 16, when it says they have the reward, there's a little word in there, all. They have all their reward. There's nothing more. They're not going to get anything more. So the Lord says in verse 17, now he says, you know, what not to do. So now he moves in verse 17, which is what you should do. He says, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face. So he says, but thou, when thou fastest. Now here, he's telling us what to do. And notice that he uses this word twice. In this verse 17, but thou, when thou fastest, 
You know, by using that word twice, thou, it's like the Lord has pulled each one of us out of this crowd of the religious, and now he's speaking just to us. You know, he doesn't say, I don't want you to be sucked in with the majority of how everyone else is doing this. He says, thou, I want you to be different. Like the Lord is like pointing to each one of us, and he's saying, you. And we say, who, me? And he says, yes, you. That's thou, thou. It's like the Lord is saying to each one of them, I've told you the problems of fasting and how others are abusing it with hypocrisy and bringing attention to themselves. It's like sounding a big trumpet. Look, everybody, I'm fasting. I don't want you to be that way. So I'm going to switch my focus to the but thou. And I'm going to tell you how you should fast. So the Lord says in verse 17, anoint thy head. And we look at that. We say, what is he talking about, anoint thy head? Well, you know, he's talking about a common practice that we don't do, but back then, of anointing the head. Now, for thousands of years, the perfecting of perfumed oils was in the Middle East. The Arabs and the Jews perfected perfumed oils. Not Chanel in Paris, but the Middle East was known for their fragrant oils. Some of them were called sweet oils, and these oils typically had a, a base, a central base of frankincense as a fragrance, a base fragrance, and then they added all kinds of different fragrances to it, essences from the, the damask rose, for example, jasmine, amber, myrrh, all kinds, whatever the, the beautiful, wonderful smelling herbs and spices, they used these. And like today, there's more than a hundred of these types of perfumed oils in the Middle East. Egypt in particular was good at this. They had a method of using a wood press where they would crush petals of flowers and mix it to the extract together with olive oil. It was always olive oil to make these perfumed oils. So these were the perfumed oils that the merchants carried as they traveled from country to country because they were expensive, they were valuable. In 1968, I remember when it was in in Tangier, Morocco, and I went to a, a bazaar, an Arab bazaar. And as I went into the, each shop, the each shop had its own particular strong perfume. And some of them burned these perfumed oils like incense. It was a treat, you know, just to walk in and experience this. So this practice of filling shops with these fragrant oils, you can experience this today in the Arab sector of Old Jerusalem. They still do that. And of all the books in the Bible today, the perfumed oils are mentioned the most is can you guess which book? Song of Solomon, the love book. The Song of Solomon 1.3, because of the savor of thy good ointments. Well, I don't want to take away, less Leviticus was the sweet-smelling instance, but it talks specifically about these oils. Song of Solomon 1.3, because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. Song of Solomon 3.6, 3.6, who is this that cometh out of the wilderness like pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the powders of the merchant? Song of Solomon 4.10, 4.10. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse? How much better is thy love than wine, the smell of thine ointments than all spices? Song of Solomon 5.5, 5.5. I rose up to open my beloved, my hands dropped with myrrh, and my fingers with sweet-smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. Song of Solomon 5.13, his cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. Now, again, you know, we think of perfumes coming from France. No, forget about it. It's all developed in the Middle East. The Middle East fragrant oils were so well known that in Shakespeare's play, Macbeth, when Lady Macbeth is standing there with her hands are all bloody, she cries out, all the perfumes of Arabia cannot sweeten my hands. So typically, a Jewish household would have several of these types of perfumed oils on hand. And typically, before a meal, 
a person would wash, and then he would, you know, look it over and say, which fragrance will I be today, you know? And, and so, which wonderful fragrance do I want to fill the house when I come in there, you know? And then he makes a selection. And so he takes this oil, this perfumed oil, and he, you know, it's not like aftershave, and anoints his head. He anoints his head. And when a person anointed their head with an oil, that was a message to everybody, I'm happy today. I'm well today. And those oils also made the skin look very good. They kept the skin moist and healthy, the olive oil, and it was particularly important in the baking hot sun of the Middle East. So those oils, those perfumed oils, they were expensive. They cost a lot. And so this is what the woman used when she anointed the Lord, when it says in Matthew 26, 6, Matthew 26, verse 6, now when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, they came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. And when the disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. So this is the oil, this is the perfumed oil that we're talking about that was used to anoint the oil. This was also the perfumed oil that the elders used when they would anoint over a sick person. You know, we do that now with vegetable oil or whatever we get off the store at Vons. But this was not the case when they anointed the sick person with the oils. It says in James 5.14, James 5.14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that great smelling oil from anointing the sick with oil was really making a statement of, we want happiness, we want wellness. And this is the first instruction that the Lord gives to his followers in verse 17. In verse 17 when he says, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head, wash thy face. In other words, look like you're really happy today and hide, hide the fact that you are starving because you're fasting. In other words, use the perfumed oils to keep the secret that you're fasting before God. You're fasting to God. Use the perfumed oil to hide the fact that you have a private conversation going on between you and God. And again, he's putting all this emphasis as he has throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. He's putting this emphasis on the inner versus the inner with God versus the outer with man. Now, in verse 18, what is the word that the Lord uses twice? Look at verse 18 and tell me, what is the word that the Lord uses twice in verse 18? Secret. But thou appear not unto man to fast, but unto thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Actually, he said the word father twice, but I meant secret. Okay. So that word is the key to the message that the Lord is giving here. It's the key. He's laying emphasis, strong emphasis, on the word secret, as if to say, it's a secret. That's what he's doing here. You know, not for anyone else. It's a secret. It reminds me one time, we were all a family together, and my little granddaughter, Kate, she can wrap any man around her finger, Kate, can't you? But she, my little granddaughter, Kate, she came up to my son, and she, she says, Dad, she says, I have a secret. <laughs> she whispers it in his ear, you know. That's like the, it's the same secret. Fasting is a very personal secret. It's a secret matter between a person and God. It's a private matter. It should be kept secret, not made a public spectacle. There are matters. There are certain subjects. There are certain things that are discussed just between married people, and they are not for anyone else's ears. They are not for anyone else to know. They are secrets between a man and his wife. And when those private things are made known to others, that's a violation of trust. 
And that harms the relationship between the married people. This is similar to fasting. This is similar to fasting. Fasting is a very private matter between the person and God. It should be kept private. No one should say to others, either by word or disfiguring the face, I'm fasting today and I have a conversation going on with God. That's a private matter between God and man, between no one else. Fasting is an intimate matter. It's an intimate matter between a person and God. And when God sees a person fasting, he has a fundamental question. God has a fundamental question, and that is, why are you fasting? Why are you fasting? Are you fasting for your health? Well, sei gesund, you know, to your health. Are you fasting to look spiritual to others? Well, then you got all your word. You don't need anything from me. Or are you fasting to me? And if it is, it'll be a very private, intimate matter between you and I. And this is the fundamental question that God asked to Israel. Are you fasting unto me? When God asked them in Zechariah 7.5, Zechariah 7.5, speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even those 70 years, did you fast it all unto me, even to me? So when a person advertises that he's fasting, he's no longer fasting to God. It's a personal, private matter between him and God. And so then God's saying, is your soul really afflicted? Is it really afflicted? Is this a fast to me? Or are you just trying to look like what he calls a bulrush, bulrush, bent over and hanging down, which he says in Isaiah 58.5, Isaiah 58.5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush? and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will thou call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? So in this verse again, the Lord is saying to us that our relationship with God, especially in fasting, it's a secret. Not for anyone else. It's a secret. It's just Jesus and you. You know, like the song goes, you know, on the Jericho Road, there's room for just two, no more, no less, just Jesus and you. Each burden he'll share, each sorrow he'll care. It's on the, okay, so even though Abraham was married to Sarah, and God was very concerned that that marriage should be close, should be intimate, and should be lasting. Twice he had to rescue that marriage. But even though Abraham was married to Sarah, when God called Abraham, and even though Abraham and Sarah were one flesh in the marriage, when it came to God calling Abraham, it was a matter of Isaiah 51.2, Isaiah 51.2. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you, I called him alone. I called him alone. What is that message when he says, I called him alone? That message is, husbands, that secret relationship between you and God does not include your wife. That message is, wives, that secret relationship between you and God does not include your husband. Times of private devotions are just that, private. Why? Because on the Jericho Road, there's room for just two. No more, no less, just Jesus and you. It's all about this close relationship between the Lord Jesus and the believer. And the question that searches us as we think about this, the question that searches us is, is there really a secret relationship with Jesus? The question is, do you have a secret relationship with Jesus? And how is it? How is that secret relationship? This is searching questions. That's the searching questions from hymn 783, hymn 783, where the questions are, how long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? 
How long has it been since you knew he cared for you? Those are the questions that get to this issue of secret in verse 18. And this is what the Lord has to say about when you fast. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for helping us and guiding us in this area of fasting. Lord, thank you so much for showing us how not to fast and showing us how to fast. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 